Hey, this is a really cool opportunity that I want to let you know about. Every great show begins with a pitch. The PlayStation Emerging Filmmakers program is a one-of-a-kind opportunity to bring your original show idea to life. Submit your idea between now and August 1st. The top five submissions chosen by PlayStation executives and industry professionals will each see their pilot produced plus $5,000 and a producer credit in the pilot. Uh, visit PlayStationFilmmakers.com for more information. Again, this is a really cool opportunity. You just pitch your idea. All the instructions are on PlayStationFilmmakers.com. And uh, you could get a pilot made by PlayStation. Check it out. Now entering Nerdist.com. The ATX Television Festival is always a wonderful experience. And Season 6, which was held June 8th through 11th this year, 2017, was no exception. As usual, Austin was the place to be for TV fans who got panels and programming of current series like The Americans, Bajillion Dollar Properties, and The Mick, reunions of Northern Exposure, Battlestar Galactica, the shows of Linda Bloodworth Thomason, and others, and panels on topics ranging from first gigs and big breaks to TV under Trump. I'm going to bring you recordings of a whole lot of these panels, and today's episode is one of them. ATX itself is putting up video of many of the events, and you can find those at atelevisionexperience.com. They'll also soon offer podcasts, both ones you'll find here and recordings exclusive to the ATX podcast feed at atelevisionexperience.com slash podcasts. Check that out in the coming months. In the meantime, first of all, go get tickets to Season 7 of ATX Television Festival. It's June 7th through 10th, 2018, and as usual, it'll be a special TV experience. And now, enjoy today's episode. Ryan. This is day two of my first ever ATX, and I'm having a blast. I hope you are too. Um, and just to give the most possible time to these amazing panelists, I want to just start uh, introducing who we've got with us here today. We've got um, Joshua Brand, the cr creator, executive producer. Come on up. Come on up. Come on down. Um, we've got, we're so lucky. We've got a number of the show's writers as well. We've got Mitchell Burgess. Um, we've got Robin Green, Cheryl Block. So come on down. <laughs> and we've got Rob Morrow, Janine Turner, and Cynthia Geary. Joshua, we, we spoke a little bit earlier. Um, you were talking about this episode and sort of the life cycle of Northern Exposure. Can you talk a little bit about this was supposed to be the fourth episode aired, but the network thought it was too weird? And, and just, you tell the story. You'll tell it better than me. Uh, hi. Um, thanks for coming. <clears throat> it's fun to see this after, I don't know, 20-some-odd years. Yeah, this episode... <clears throat> 
What we, when the show was uh, ordered uh, and as a summer replacement series or summer series, um, it was supposed to be the fourth episode and uh, of eight. But when the network saw it, they thought it was too weird and it was too odd and they didn't want to air it. And so we convinced them to air it, but number eight, the last one. And, um, and then I, I don't know if it was Rob or someone here had mentioned to me that over the course of the years, it was sort of uh, people had voted it as the most popular episode. And the thing that, um, that, that we learned when we were uh, shooting the show was once, and we didn't have to wait 25 years to find this out, but once we knew that people did like this episode, we actually, um, my partner and I, we turned to each other and we just said, we can do anything we want on this show. <laughs> and, um, and, and it was incredibly liberating, and it was true. It was that we, we understood that the audience was willing to go on any ride that we were gonna take them because they felt that um, they were in good hands and that we weren't gonna drop them on their head. And so it really just changed. It opened up the whole show for us. And, uh, and so that's why, you know, when they had said which episode, there's so many, I mean, that, that I love, and I know we all have our favorites and, 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 and moments in different episodes, but it really did change. It just opened the show up for us in ways that um, um, the network was forced to, um, they didn't want to sort of see it in that way, but they were forced to by the fact that people um, were open to it and that they liked it. Yeah, it definitely was, it, it's, it's held up so well, and I think it's because of the distinctiveness of the tone, and I want to just ask the actors, you know, did you feel like you got it from day one, like the tone that the show, or did you all find it together, like, what was it like to create, because it's a very specific warmth, but there's a bittersweet quality to everything that transpires, these are characters who are kind of trying to get away from it all, and yet they can't avoid each other. Well, first off, I don't know why everyone keeps saying it was 25 years ago. I think it was five years ago. <laughs> I don't understand that, but... Um, here's an interesting thing, though, that's it's, it, in, in light of what Josh is saying, that the show was ordered for eight episodes initially. There wasn't a pilot, which was very unusual, and I think the only reason was was because it was a summer season, which was never heard of back then. And I think that if you would put this on as a pilot only, it may never have seen the light of day. But because they had the luxury of eight episodes to explore, um, they came up with Aurora Borealis and really started to find the potential. And it's a real argument for why shows should not just stand on a pilot alone. That said, I knew when I read this first script that it was unusual like no other television show I'd ever seen. I, I certainly didn't know it was going to be a hit, but uh, it had qualities that it, it was cinematic, which was very rare in television. It was literary, and it was spiritual, and it was humorous. It had it was highbrow, it was lowbrow. You could be an intellectual and like it, and you could be an idiot and like it. And <laughs> you know, I mean, and that was very rare. So I mean, uh, it's it certainly on the page read like nothing I'd ever read. Well, and there was just a bond between all of us. Um, and I think when I watched, I just was so moved by watching the show. I told you, Josh, Dad's a traveling man. <laughs> I remember so many of the lines, don't I? You're the most vile, pernicious waste of corporal souls I've ever had the misfortune to lay you my eyes on. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know why you always remember that line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
But, you know, I, I, not to take up a lot of time, and Cindy can talk to this too, but I mean, I, I, we were all removed from Hollywood. Removed. Rob and I lived in New York, and were you in, you were in Los Angeles? I was in LA. Yeah, and so we were all thrown into this magical, mystical place called the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, and filming, just look at how beautiful everything was and where we filmed, but, you know, it was on the page. It, it, you know, it, it just, we would get these scripts, and we, we would just be in awe, like, wow, look at this. And, and then there was just sort of a bond, a magic. It just all fell together, and I think all of us as a cast, we were we were united and, and excited, and we felt we were part of something special. And there's, there's just such heart. I agree with everything. But it was, I mean, for me, I didn't speak in the pilot. Um, so, and I don't think that I knew that it, I knew it was special, and I knew that my personal experience was, was this was, Incredible! I the writing was was phenomenal, and the acting, and I got to work with John Cullum every morning, and which was just blew me away. But I didn't know or know you know how great it was or what it was going to be until we got this fifty episode pickup, and then I went, "What? I I think we may be living here." So <laughs> they they might like yeah. you. Well, I, let's just back up a little bit. You know this wondrous magical creation how did you sell it like how how did they actually give you this order for eight episodes how'd you make that magic happen well um my partner and i had a uh, we were under contract to universal and our job was to come up with ideas for television series and um so this was an idea that we um presented to them the idea of the fish out of water and the quintessential new yorker going to Alaska, the final frontier, place where you can recreate yourself, and um, uh, and and it, so once we said that to them, uh, they uh, this is sort of the business of Hollywood. There was, as Rob had said, they, they, at, in 1990 or whenever this came on, they didn't have summer series. Now, of course, uh, the season is with you know with. Um, uh, Netflix and all these other Amazon. There's it's tw it's a 12 month season, but it used to be a season in September, and a mid season, and it ended in May. And they didn't have original series in the summer. And Universal Studios, which was the studio, and CBS, which was the network, they have business deals with each other. And CBS had um, uh, agreed to uh, commit to an eight episode series to Universal. And so this was a way for Universal and CBS to burn off a series, meaning they didn't think anyone would watch it. But they had to. They had to burn off an eight-episode series. And they said, we'll do this series. And of course, they thought it was a medical show. I mean, they thought that that's what they were burning off, a medical show in Alaska. And you know, Rob would get on his sled and carry the you know, serum. serum to the sick people and deliver the baby in the igloo. And um, that, of course, isn't what it was. So in a sense, um, we, were, we were fortunate in that we were flying under the radar. And because it was a summer series, and because it had never been done before, and because it was shot on a distant location, now, of course, there are a lot of shows that shoot on distant location. Um, but at the time, that wasn't the case. And, and something that was very fresh was to see a different place. You know, you weren't just seeing Columbo in LA or LA Law or other shows that are or something in New York occasionally. So it was um, it was a surprise to them that um, that the show caught on, 
And that's why you see even that it doesn't say, it says a Cine uh, um, Nevada uh, production. Because Universal didn't want to shoot it, they didn't want to spend any money on it, so it wasn't a union production. Meaning we were given $839,000 to shoot a pilot, this pilot, not this pilot, but the, the pilot of the show. Now that sounds like a lot of money, and it is, but just put it in the context of I shot a pilot three years ago that they pay, they spent $9 million to, to, to shoot it. You've never seen it. So $839,000 was very, very little money to shoot a pilot on a distant location. So they made it non-union. They didn't want their name on it as the, as the production company because they would, thought they would run into trouble. So, um, so we were just very lucky. And, and consequently, because we didn't have money, we had all these wonderful young people who sort of you know, we needed to find, and they found us, and we found them, and then, of course, they've all had wonderful careers. But at the time, it was, you know, we were, we were um, fortunate to sort of have to uh, fly by the seat of our pants. And um, we wouldn't have chosen to do that if we were given the choice, but we weren't given the choice. Um, it, the writing for the show is it's just so exceptional, and it's one every award, and including back-to-back Peabody's, which I happen to know is very rare because I was on that jury for a while. But I, I just want to talk to the writers a bit about what was it like to try to find the right northern exposure to, like tone? I'm, I'm picturing a new writer coming in. and like, was, it, was it a really difficult process to kind of find what a northern exposure episode was? No. <laughs> no, um, I fell in love with it. And so it was, it was just a delight to be able to write that stuff and to have the luxury of, of, of time to have these lines and say these things and these characters. It was just, it was easy. I mean, it was, I, I was I mean, it's always hard work, but it, it was not hard to mm -hmm. adapt. I came in on the second season. I was a fan first, and then I got to get on the show, and it was like a big deal. I mean, because I've known Robin for a while. And we became partners. I had worked with Josh before on a show called Year in the Life, and so we were acquainted. And I had my own show, my third year in the business, that summer, and fortunately it failed. And so <laughs> I got to go on this, you know, labor of love, really. And Cheryl, did you want? Oh, sorry, go okay. ahead. No, go ahead. I was not a writer on the show. I was came on the first day with Josh, and I was a producer and kind of felt like um, the mothership. I would be in LA and go up to Seattle, but I w was fortunate to be able to pick all the directors and find the composer, which is a great story that we have. And just, it was, um, we had to be scrappy. You know, we had to find non-union directors, and a lot of them have gone on, all of them, to do great things, and just had a, um, from casting to post-production to shooting, it was always a family, spirit behind it, that we were on an adventure. So I didn't write, but I got to put the team together. But Ooh. I'll say something about the writing. You know, there was a friendly competition in the writing uh, writer's room about trying to do a, a, a better script and do the best we could. And we were all, we'd read each other's scripts and we were fans of it, but it was a great experience to do that. And I like to say, all, they wrote all this before Google. <laughs> yes, you'd have, to go, you'd have to go to the library. We spent a lot of time in the Beverly Hills Library. I mean, now you can, you can find all those quirky things very yeah. easily, but not then. Good point. Well, did you have computers? Yeah, yeah, we had computers. We did have computers. It wasn't that long. Big, bulky things. 
Well, uh, maybe folks can speak to what did you look for in directors? And as a cast, it sounds like you all bonded really well. Like, you know, what was it like to have these directors come in? Did you have to kind of educate them as to what the tone was or what the, what the feel was? Or how did, how did that work? And, and what did you look for in directors that you wanted to bring back and liked? Well, Josh was really instrumental in creating the tone meeting. That well, you know, um, the... You know, it's it's uh, you know in real estate they say location, location, location. You know, if, well that was look at look at where we got to shoot. I mean, so you could point a camera, particularly since most television shows up until then were shot in Los Angeles. So we could point a camera. It's not working. But can you hear me? Um, oh, there it goes. There it is. Um, I've never. What is this called? <laughs> Ice cream cone, <laughs> um, and um, so uh, so so you know it was it was not a show that was defined by a directorial style. It wasn't handheld. It wasn't you know um, I I I directed the first no, no episode. No rack focusing. I remember that. <laughs> you weren't allowed to rack focus on our show. Oh well, that's right. That was like sort of we didn't because at that point it was sort of a cliche. Now. Now you can do whatever you want to do, and music videos change things. But we didn't really. It was not a. Sh it was, the, the the show was, you know, it's like you have Janine's face. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a brilliant director. Just, you know, <laughs> make sure it's in focus. <laughs> you know? um, and we had the, you know, we had the in football. It would be the twelfth man. We had. We had Seattle and its environs. We had the Cascade Mountains. And again, no shows showed that. So, you know, you see trees, evergreens. You see beautiful, something that's very beautiful. I mean, the thing that I wish is that at that time, televisions were square. And um, now televisions, of course, are rectangle is television has sort of usurped one of, the benef one of the benefits of going to the movie. And if, you know, you had seen this on a rectangle, you would see something that would take your breath away. Because, of course, being in, it's, it's why Cynthia stayed there. It does take your breath away. It's extraordinarily beautiful. Um, so, we, a lot, again, a lot of the directors we hired uh, were people who didn't have a lot of experience. But, you know, you... you you know, in life, and not just making a television show, you have to trust your instincts. And if your instincts are terrible, you're going to be in trouble in life. <laughs> and if your instincts are okay, then you're going to you're going to make some mistakes, but but you're also not going to you're going to make some really good choices. And for the most part, the choices that we we made, whether it was with Cheryl or the writers or the actors or the directors, were good choices. And that could be fortuitous, it could be luck, it could be we trusted uh, our instincts that, that, that we were going to pick good people, and we were fortunate that we did. And so, but it's not a show that was, um, I don't think that it was, the, it wasn't, it, it, I think that at the heart of it, it was the place, the actors, and the writing. And if the directors didn't screw it up, then the show worked. One thing you said just when we were speaking earlier is that um, I, there's something about the tone of the show that is so poignant, and, and you said something really interesting in that these were all characters, for the most part, who'd experienced loss. And maybe, I wonder if the actors can speak about that, either, either as their characters began or the journey that their characters went on. What Do you think that that 
I mean, obviously there's a separation from New York for, for Joel and separation from his life, but just in general, is that, a, is that a statement that makes sense for you? Yeah. I also want to say that the episode we just watched, it, logistically it was really challenging to shoot the show, which is why most shows up to then shot locally. When we shot at that uh, forest uh, tower, when they scouted it, it was one thing. When we went to shoot, there had been rains, and they couldn't get any trucks up. We were so high up. We were like 2,000 feet up, and so it was really difficult. We actually fell behind, which never happens in television. I think we lost a half a day. Um, but in terms of what your question, uh, th there were I really interesting corollaries that I hooked into right away for me. You know, being Jewish, being a New Yorker, being neurotic, being, uh, you know, a uh, 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 snob, you know, all these things that I am partially... And, and, and Joel is extremely, was easy and, and, and gratefully something I could tap into. So if I was frustrated, you know, all of a sudden we'd be in the middle of nowhere shooting these scenes with no uh, cr creature comforts, I could tap right into that. And that was really, um, that was really useful for me, um, uh, I, I think, I guess. What, what I think is really interesting about the show, all the characters, was the juxtaposition of the characters. I mean, here, here is Adam in the middle of the forest, but he, he cooked exquisite food, you know, and uh, Darren's character, Ed, was this young kid, that, but he loved Woody Allen, you know, wanted to be a director. And, and my character was from Gross Point, Michigan, and she was raised in sort of high society. Oh, that's another great line. Remember the hatchback? That's my dad. Yeah. <laughs> My dad created the hatchback. It's all about your dad. It's no, not the one. Uh, oh, another one of my favorite lines, especially when I was giving birth, is I took one of my favorite shows. I took uh, Rob. I had to fly Rob to teach uh, Lamaze classes to the women. Do you remember this show? And he gets up there. You only need to know four words. I want my epidural. <laughs> I told that to my wife when she was pregnant. Yeah, and I was not going to have an epidural, but when I wanted my epidural, I wanted my epidural. Uh, I digress. Anyway, all, all, the, all the characters had this wonderful, rich quality, and my character was from Gross Point, very rich, but she left it all uh, to, to go move to um, Alaska and, you know, fix, you know, as you know, you know, kill her own deer, fly her own plane, fix her own toilet. She was so independent. And I love, I love all the, like Maurice... The, the strong astronaut used to love to iron his girlfriend's underwear. I mean, you know, we all had this kind of yin and yang. It was really fascinating. And, and, and there was a, I mean, I, this show almost made me want to cry. I, I just think the depth and the soul, so many elements, like in a great ingredients, quirkiness, funniness, intelligence, beauty, depth, soul. And, um, you know, gosh knows Maggie had a lot of death. All of her boyfriends died. <laughs> Is Adam Arkin here? Is he here? Yeah, where's Adam? He was here. He uh, there he is. Oh, Adam, yeah, yeah, Adam yeah. down. He should be down here. Adam was amazing, and uh, he, he's up in the back. Come down. Come on, Come on, down. down. Come on, Come on down. down. You can clearly see in a scene, right on when it's on the side of my head in this scene we just were, where I was laughing. I have so many dailies in a closet somewhere. Every scene I did with this guy, we would lose two hours because I could not. I would laugh when he opened his mouth. He's so funny. Adam, so. come and have my seat. Come, okay. come sit down. Hi. <laughs> so last night... I'm just fangirling so hard right now. This is, this is like the best day ever. Um, 
I introduced myself to you last night. You were very gracious. Um, what was it like to be this mystery character on this show that everyone was talking about? And, and was it like hard to live up to who he was or fun to find that? Is this a, here we go. The the whole thing uh, was a dream come true for me. I, I had gotten to work with with Josh and and John uh, on uh, and Robin on uh, on uh, uh, a year in the life, which was a, a wonderful show, short lived but wonderful. And I was playing a rather conservative character, but I got to know them well enough that one day they were like. You're you're actually out of your mind, aren't you? And I sort of yeah, I sort of am. They were like, we we have to write to that someday, and I didn't think anything more of it. And then one day, this this script arrived, and I was like, oh my god, um, it just seemed like the opportunity of a lifetime, which it in fact was. And uh, the whole thing was just a gift. I, I played a a very minor part o over the life of the show, but the 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 show did such a great job of creating a sense of place that once you were a part of that place, people just thought of you as being there all the time. So and you directed your first show on it. It was the first opportunity I ever got to direct, yeah. yeah. They were kind enough to give me a shot. Uh, I, only now do I know that it was only because they knew nobody could screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cynthia, when I talk about your character, I mean, I really feel like Shelley was the heart of the show in some ways. There's a purity to that character. And yet, as with all the characters, that this is why people still love the show. It's so character-driven. Everyone got layers. You know, did you ever feel like, you know, I don't know, just talk, talk about Shelley. Well, thank her, you. Her, That's very her beautiful kind soul. and lovely. <laughs> I, I do, too. And I, I, I love her, and I love John Cullum uh, because of the fact that there, there it, it was... So going back and watching it, I've been watching this show recently I'm in season two with my children who wanted to see it and they've never seen it and I'm watching and, and I, I was kind of surprised because I'm like oh sorry you can't watch that that's a little uh, that's inappropriate which I had no idea because I never felt that anything was inappropriate because it was all came from a place of love I mean inappropriate for children but it everyone and especially John Cullum and my characters treated each other with such respect and and caring and love. And I do feel like that's why people were drawn to this show for many, you know, it was so creative and, and intelligent and funny and but there was heart. And that's why people love it and that's why you guys are all still here. Um, but we want the gossip. So what were what were <laughs> What were fights that you had? What, what did the network or what did the studio, like what, when did they say no and when did you say too bad? Like what, what was that kind of fight like? I got one. I, it, this was funny. We were doing, there was a, a, an annual rite within the fiction town of Sicily where we would do the spring run. Oh, I remember All that. the men in the town would... Running of the bulls. And we were, and supposedly all naked, you know, and uh, we shot it and... You know, me being idealistic and an idiot, you know, young guy was like I was looking at what through the monitor, and we would see us, but they all everything had to be cut here, and we were wearing these kind of underwear, and they couldn't show anything. And I was like, this is I was pushing the envelope. I said, let's just let's do it naked. Let's do it naked. And they were like, oh my god, they're not gonna be able to show it. And I said, but let's just give it to them and see, man. This is what was it, 1991 or something? I was like, let's just uh, 99. I was like, let's just try it. We should do it. I mean, we're artists. We got to push the envelope and. 
So I you would have to, the, to be naked today. I know, exactly. It'd be a contract we'd have to sign. So I went to the... the that one would the, be like the second scene. Exactly. <laughs> I went to one of the producers and I said, let's do it. And they said, well, you, how are you going to get all these extras? We had like 100 extras. And I said, well, give me some money. So we, <laughs> we came up with like $2,000, whatever the number was, and gave everyone 10 bucks or 15 bucks over. And since it was in union, nobody cared. So we paid everyone. <laughs> and we did just one take. I think we had a couple cameras running where everyone was naked, including me, <laughs> down this town, just as the real mayor of the town comes walking out and why and he didn't they didn't like us at all they didn't know we were hit so they didn't want us taking over their town hollywood coming in and ruining their town and all this and this guy looks and sees me in the front of this pack of men naked running through his town and he truly wanted to arrest me he really wanted to, and they had to kind of negotiate me not being arrested <laughs> I wish I could have seen the dailies on that. that, that I'm not, my mind is broken now. Um, so what did, Wasn't there, there was a shot in the show, yes. I think, of the back of the A famous butt shot in TV history. We finally have, you know, I should do a book on that. Like, like there's NYPD Blue, there's Sipowitz's butt, there's just a lot of... Um, but Josh, you know, any of the writers, anyone want to talk more about, you know, what... I, the this, this show did break so many barriers. It really did so many interesting, innovative things. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, in, in the early 90s, where the, the network saw those lines as being, is like, this is too far, or when, when were they understanding when you kind of didn't maybe expect that? Well, I was just, you know, because I hadn't, <clears throat> I bumped into Rob about 10 years ago at a Mexican restaurant in LA. So I saw him 10 years ago, but I hadn't seen uh, Janine or Cynthia for over 20 years. And so we were just sort of sharing some stories. And last night, Robin and, and Mitch and Cheryl, who we are friends in, in New York and Los Angeles, we were having dinner and I sort of was telling them some stories. And one of them was, um, there was an episode, uh, a, a, well, the, the, the network didn't understand what the show was, okay? So, I mean, they, they thought they wanted to call it Dr. Snow. They thought it was a medical show. <laughs> I had done a medical show. I, the thought of doing, I wouldn't, it was, so there was never any intention to do that. And so there was a lot of push and pull. But what happened is, of course, once the show became successful, or they thought, well, people are watching the show and they seem to like it, you know, they're not stupid. I mean, they're going, well, okay, let them, you know, keep doing it. But they, but, but they were uncomfortable with it because it was sort of anomalous. It wasn't, it was just character driven. It wasn't a cop show. It wasn't a lawyer show. It wasn't a crime show. Uh, it was just characters. And um, there was an episode in, I, I guess it was the second year, um, maybe, I don't remember, but, it, but, but when we broke the fourth wall, <clears throat> And there was uh, a Russian guy comes, and there was a duel, and then we didn't know how to end it. And one of the characters says, "Well, he's clearly not going to kill Maurice," and you know, and they decide to walk off. And this studio was horrified; they didn't want to they didn't want to air that show. And um, and I got into a huge fight with them and said, "You have to." They wanted me to change it so that he that wasn't going to be the ending. And they were going to say, "Well, we shouldn't." I said, "No, you got to. This is it." And so. Um, you know, studios, if there was one thing they know how to do, they know how to hold a grudge. And at the end of that year, they flew me to New York, and they were all sitting around, and, and they sort of, you know, they, they, they sort of told me I was like a really bad boy, and I either had to kiss the ring, or I was not going to 
uh, you know, the threat was obviously they would, they would get rid of me. Kind of like, excuse me for this, but like Trump and Comey. I mean, the threat was implicit. <laughs> it was an implicit threat. And, uh, and, and I loved the show, and I did not want to leave the show, so I did kiss the ring, and I got on a plane, and I came back to L.A., and uh, I was miserable. And I, 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 for like a day, and I said, you know, I just can't do this. I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave. And I went to my partner, and I said, look, I, I just can't do this. And, and he said, fine, that's it, just get out of it. And I called up my agent, and I said, listen, I, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. I just can't. I don't want to do this. I, too, I was, I was miserable. I was unhappy. I wasn't a negotiating thing. And two hours later, they called me back, and they said, okay, so here's the deal. You can do whatever you want, but you can't ask us for any more money. And I never got another note from them after that until I left. Wow. <laughs> Future showrunners, take note. Um, well, we're going to have to wrap it up in a little bit, which I'm very sad about. But I was wondering if um, I would love to just get, get an array of responses to, you know, when you look back at the show, what, what for you is a scene or maybe an episode that kind of encapsulates it for you? Like when you, when you look back. Start with you, Adam. Well, the first, there, there are a number of them, but the first one that comes to mind is a, a negotiation scene we had to try and get through uh, with uh, with uh, Rob and myself and Valerie Mahaffey, um, and and the the actor who, who played Chris's brother, what, what, what Richard Cummings, yeah. Uh, the four of us ha had to uh, get through a scene, and one or the other of us uh, was laughing for probably about six hours <laughs> in a scene that should have taken uh, two hours to shoot. Um, it was almost the end of I my career. I have those dailies. I have them. <laughs> <laughs> so, On the back but, of my shoulder, it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's the first one that comes to my mind. Okay. Favorite episode was... Um, the episode where I sang the whole show, I, 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 which was incredible. I don't, you know, now that's, everything on this show is being done now. I mean, it was so groundbreaking, but no one had done that, to my knowledge, before. And that was just in, incredible for me. What a gift. It was so fun. And the other one was when I had gave birth and had the baby. I'd never had children before. And Rob and I were in this scene where, do you remember the infant they handed us? And you had to hold it, and they covered it with yogurt and grape jelly. And it's slippery, and he's scared to death. I'm scared to death. And it was, you know, and I watched it back, and I watched it on TV and, um, and realized how Horribly, I overacted in, during labor because now that I've had kids, I'm like, it wasn't that hard. But, <laughs> but that's a favorite scene. Was, was that the hell of a love? You? Was that the one where she saw her daughter, or was the next one? Was yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That that was the one I was going to. Uh, we, we, me and Robin did the called "Hello, Love You," and she sees her daughter in uh, oh, three yeah. different stages. So that was my favorite. Well, go ahead. You have a that's, no, I, I, no I, that, was, that was my favorite. Well, that was yeah. I'm gonna have a lot of them, but um, wanna, I don't know. No, no. Well, I, like the one, okay. I like the guys in the snow. The, uh, me and Robin did a thing called Three Amigos. The snow was everywhere. It's one of the most beautiful. Uh, Josh brought it. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, my brain is just so full of scenes right now. I, I don't even really know how I, I could pick. I mean, 
I mean, I remember other people's lines, you know, as well as other people's great scenes as well as mine. Um, but if I'm th- thinking about Maggie O'Connell, I mean, I think when all of her boyfriends came back from the dead, you know, in the dream, that was really fun when she was 30. And, um, uh, you know, I, I still love when my mother comes and burns down the house. Um, and my daughter and I laugh that, that she finds the blob and Rick's, uh, when the house had burned, the Rick's head had burned into, you know, whatever my boyfriend's name is, you know, John, that's my, all my boyfriends are one big blob. Um, but, uh, I also, you know, I just thought it was really funny when Rob and I finally consummate our, our love interest at the roll down the hay. Do you remember that? We, we were at the top, we were in a barn and we had to literally roll down the hay quite quite a ways um, and then she forgets the whole thing she has amnesia <laughs> no no we didn't yes we did no no we didn't it's not a TV show unless someone has amnesia you're right <laughs> I, I, you know it's funny for me I, it's the it's the journey it's the whole arc um, and I think about the first show the first scene I guess it was on the plane where Joel's going to Alaska and then the last scene where I was saying goodbye, uh, it was this mythic, beautiful. Uh, we, we had Woody, Woody did this, uh, the Shangri La. That whole episode and his whole journey, where he kind of embraced this kind of uh, holistic part of himself. But, but when I did, when we shot the scene with Janine and I saying goodbye, and I was kind of walking off into this myth, mystic, into this mystic, and uh, and we, we were shooting, and I was crying for real. And Janine was crying, and that moment of uh, synthesis with our real lives and our, you know, I think as artists, we're always looking for where is our, where's the corollary? Josh was talking before about where is it dovetail? I think any good series, after a certain point, there's a, the characters start to merge with the actors. If, if the writers are good, they're drawing from what they're seeing. And for me, that last moment was such an huge moment just standing there looking at her knowing I was saying goodbye after this incredible journey as was Joel I mean I'm getting emotional even saying it um it was it just was like it felt like and it is one of the great uh journeys of my life and uh that kind of encapsulates it for me that was a very hard for me I felt like I was I, I felt like I was getting a divorce <laughs> it was really really sad very sad I don't think I can pick a favorite scene because I got to be with Josh in the editing room all the time, and I just, when I got to see this episode, it's the innocence in the faces, um, from Corbett to Janine to Shelley to Joel, and the way they, and Peg and Marilyn, those scenes, and seeing Corbett at the radio station, I remember reading the scripts, and there was always something that moved me, and the way he, those moments, but it was really the innocence and the, um, there was a kindness that still resonates throughout, so I can't really pick a scene, but the faces are just sweet. <laughs> you don't see that a lot. I guess it's, it's a, I wasn't even there yet, but it's the line when uh, Marilyn answers the phone, and she says, somebody's on line one, and he says, <laughs> there's there only one line. No, no it's, it's someone's on line two. So isn't it? Someone's on line. Oh, no, it's at line one. We only have one line. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like that. That said it. Great line. Well, there are so many uh, moments floating around in my head as as well as everyone else's. And um, the one that just, when 
I've had a lot of time to think about what I'm going to say. And to me, it was um, the trebuchet when we flung the piano. And um, that was amazing. It's not what you fling, it's the fling itself. It's not the thing you fling, it's the thing itself. It's the fling itself. That's right. And um, because it was just, it was again, it was like, it went beyond a television show. It was like, I wanted to see that. You know, and what was incredible is we have a lot of footage about it, and we got, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about a guy, a European guy, who made trebuchets. He made catapults. And so we brought him over and said, build us a catapult. And what are we going to fling? Well, it was in the episode where it was when, that Robin and Mitch wrote where um, Maggie's mom burns down Maggie's house, and so Chris finds a piano. And so we flung the piano. And what was incredible about it? Was supposed about to be a cow. Yeah. Well, Maybe he was, was going to fling a cow. Was, uh, yeah, he can do it. Was, yeah. In the Wall Street Journal. Oh, in the Wall Street Journal piece, it wasn't a piano. In the show, it was a piano. That's what we flung. We we were not going to fling a live cow. Uh, and. Um, what was incredible, which you don't, maybe you did, maybe, I'm sure you saw it, but it was, if you saw the episode, but the G-forces acting on that piano when it was flung, because again, a trebuchet, it doesn't have any, there was nothing mechanical, it's just a weight. And so you put a piano on it, and there's this weight, and you release the weight, and the thing goes slowly, slowly, and then you go, wham! And it flings this piano, like, I don't know, it looks like it's 100 yards, and in the middle of the air, it starts breaking up because of the G-forces, and that, excuse me? That, that was like, it's just, I mean, wow. To, for somebody to pay you money <laughs> to have a guy build this trebuchet and fling something? And they made T-shirts of it. It's not what well, you fling, but it it's the fling like, itself. We, it was so great, we did it again when a friend of Chris's dies and we flung him in a, just to see it again. But the that was the studio, they had to amortize the fling. Have a fling with Northern Exposure. Okay, I know we're over, but I'll just do one yes or no answer. When will, are you going to revive Northern Exposure? Well, listen, we, we would love, Rob has been working, trying to get them to do it. I mean, I, I'm sure we all would agree we would love to see it because, um, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I don't, th I, I think it is of a time, but it's also not of a time. I mean, the thing about loss isn't like, Lost, like I lost my driver's license. It's, it's to me, the show was, um, I've said this now, so I guess I believe it. It was sort of like salted caramel ice cream, which is the best ice cream because it's sweet and it's, uh, and it's got salt. And the show was buoyant and it was optimistic. But if you live on the planet, you experience loss and you feel it, whether it doesn't have to be you lost your wallet or, you know, it's a part of living. And the show... There's a lot of loss in the show, but it's not depressing because it's part of living. And it's something that our culture and our television shows don't like to do. We're very good at killing people with a gun and putting it behind their head. But the idea of getting sick or things not working out or not knowing who your father is or even in this episode, you know, I mean, it's funny, but the father wasn't around to both of these guys. And they found someone. And so... That isn't schmaltzy. It's when you combine that with, with um, uh, it, it, it gives a certain, it, it makes you feel something. Uh, and I think that I would love to see that again on television because they've tried to recreate it and they haven't been able to and they view it as an anomaly, something that happened, and, but nobody's been able to do it again and we know how to do it. All right, well thank you all thank so you much. Guys. This has been a treat. Thank you.
Thank you for everything. Thank you for coming. Now leaving Nerdist.com.